Hi everybody, I'm your hot with Scott Kellner and you are tuned in to Digital Mentorship. Digital Mentorship is a podcast designed to educate college juniors, seniors, and current professionals about career possibilities. If you can think about what you wanted to do when you were declaring a major or getting ready to graduate, is that anything close to what you ended up doing? Do you think somebody else getting ready to graduate has any idea that a job or career or your business even exists? The goal of this podcast is to help narrow the gap between what individuals think their career must be and what it could be. Disclaimer time. Scott Kellner works in the private wealth management industry, and it's possible investments or securities are talked about in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Was the summer of the fall. On this episode of Digital Mentorship, my guest is Jadri Wood. Jadri is a junior operations analyst for Phoenix Team, which is a mortgage tech fintech company based out of Washington, D.C. Jadri has also had internships at the World Trade Center of Utah and the House Foreign Affairs Committee in Washington, D.C. Jadri studied international business and economics with a minor in Spanish at Westminster College. I'm really looking forward to our conversation about Jadri's wide range of experience, her passion for politics, her experience as a high school debate coach, and of course we play a game of overrated or underrated. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. And uh, But Jadri, I'm super happy to have you on the show. How are you? Happy to be here. I'm super excited, hoping to give people a little bit more insight into what it's like for college life and then graduating afterwards and whether or not you use your degree at all, which in my case is a little bit of yes and no, but mostly no. <laughs> What's, um, so tell us about um, what is Phoenix Team? So Phoenix Team is a consulting company, but they primarily focus in mortgage technology. So we work for VA or the Veterans Affairs, USDA, a couple other like Quicken Loans is one of our primary clients. Essentially, we just work with big mortgage lending companies and try and figure out how to make the mortgage lending process a little bit better, which as a 23-year-old without a mortgage is a little bit complicated to learn. But I do a lot of the marketing aspect, a lot of the digitization of deliverables. So any presentation that goes out to our different clients, I get to input a little bit on design. I do thought leadership blogs, what's happening in the next big thing in industry. But it's all very complicated, but very cool to learn about and influential, especially as I'm 23, don't have a mortgage. So to learn the ins and outs is very helpful. Um, so that sounds, that sounds, and what, I guess, what are the big things happening in the mortgage industry right now? Like, what are some, like, what have you written about lately or? Yeah. So one of the blogs I actually just wrote, written about was why kit, why people our age aren't buying homes, essentially Mm -hmm. millennials and below why we're living in apartments, why we're not interested in buying a home. And ultimately, it comes out to what is called our debt to income ratio. And on average, any student who goes to an undergraduate college has about $32,000 worth of loans, right? And the median income for most people is around $40,000. So you think if you have 32k worth of loans and are only making 40k and also trying to live, clearly there's a disconnect there, right? And right now, since it's COVID, people aren't going out to eat. They have a lot more income that they don't really have discretionary spending. So they think, oh, I can afford a house. So the market is really good right now. 
for people who aren't going out or saving a little bit of money looking to buy a house. But eventually when things start opening up again and people are going to spend their budget more on going to restaurants, going out and doing things that we haven't been able to for the past year, we're going to find a lot of people who have a lot tighter of a budget than they like originally anticipated. So it'll be really interesting in the next couple of months after vaccines to see how many people can actually afford a house versus people who just thought COVID was more of an annoyance. So mm. we'll see. Um, well, that's, that's super interesting. That's a great <laughs> blog post. I feel like I know, I think when I came out of school, I'm pretty sure I had exactly $32,000 <laughs> of student debt, which yep. was, which was kind of funny. And, um, I'm super close to, I probably would have paid it off by now um, mm -hmm. if they hadn't. I mean, I have federal loans, so they deferred. Yep. Uh, so I haven't, been, I haven't had to pay it. I thought, okay, <laughs> if it's at 0%, um, I have about $9,000 left. If it's at 0%, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to worry necessarily about making the payment. Yep. I actually have, I do have the cash saved up to mm -hmm. make, to pay it off. But um, do you, do you have student loans? I do. I have around like thirty to forty thousand as well, going to yeah. private Westminster. So right, right. Back up a bit, but it's an investment for sure. Yeah, and we can we can talk about that. Um, we can talk about Westminster in a minute. I do want to kind of back up for a second and play, uh, you know, one of my favorite games. I love to play with all of my guests, which is two truths and a lie. So Jadri told me. Uh, you broke your arm on April Fool's Day. That doesn't sound like a very funny April Fool's joke. Mom, I broke my arm. Uh, no, seriously. No, no, seriously, I broke my arm. Uh, I had a hedgehog. I had a hedgehog named Sonic. Um, and you're a high school debate coach. Um, I'm actually super excited to talk to you about the high school debate coach thing. I know you're a high school debate coach, so um, we'll we can get into that. But I'm gonna go with. Um, I think you broke your arm. I think so. I think the hedgehog named Sonic is a lie. Is that a lie? You're right. I actually, I did have a hedgehog, but his name was Bennett, not Sonic. Not but Sonic. if I had a dollar for the amount of people who asked me if his name was Sonic, I probably could have paid off my loans by now. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so how did you tell us about when you broke your arm on April Fool's Day? Yep. So oh, that was in elementary school. Me and my three sisters ended up wanting to go rollerblading at like six o'clock in the morning because you don't have a concept of time at that age. So we just went rollerblading down our street, decided to go down a grassy hill. You rollerblade it down and then essentially fall down at the bottom to land. And a rock got caught in my rollerblade, ended up falling down on my arm. Um, it was April Fool's Day. So I said that I was really hurt, couldn't get up. I was also in rollerblades, so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stand up in general. So I like wobbled up on a nearby fence post and eventually stood up and I could pinch through my elbow and mm. like touch my fingers together. Oh. Very disgusting. And so my siblings were like, okay, I guess we got to go home, tell mom and dad. Essentially fast forward six hours later to when I woke my parents up from a nap because they finally realized one of us was hurt because we have six kids. They didn't really think that getting hurt was a big deal. Um, and we found out I broke my arm in my doctor's backyard on April Fool's Day. <laughs> well, yep. uh, you didn't you didn't go immediately to your doctor's house, though, then you went. You went no, he was the one to work on me, though. He was asking That's like funny. where we were living, trying to calm me down and found out we were neighbors we had just moved there and I was like well why don't you pay for my arm then <laughs> yeah 
uh, well, I guess, you know, so I wanted to kind of go back. Um, that's, that's a great segue and a, and a good story. I'm sorry about your arm. I hope it healed well. I hope that doctor yep. did a good job. Good um, to go. <laughs> how did you get the job at Phoenix team? Like who, how did you learn about Phoenix team? How did that come up? How did that all happen? Yeah. So my whole family is in the mortgage industry as well as the real estate space. And I never thought I would end up there. And looking back, I kind of wish I listened to what my parents did a little bit more, you know, that I'm also working in that space. But uh, the CEO of Phoenix was actually invited to our cabin up in Idaho, along with a couple of other different clients who were working with like title insurance companies is what my parents primarily do. And so they just happened to go to our cabin in Idaho by happenstance. And my mom was just primarily asking about, hey, my daughter wants to eventually move to D.C. Can you just would you be willing to give her a call and just talk about what D.C. is like, what that looks like for uh, a young adult who's looking to get into the political space? And she said, sure. Ended up calling on the CEO. She said, you know, if you just want to hear about what my company does, we're based in D.C. We'd love to have you. So for about a couple days, I just sat with some of the interns. They're all virtual. They're all remote. And so I was on their video calls, just listening to what they would do. And I sent uh, the CEO my resume. I said, here you go, Tanya. Just give me some resume tips. I wasn't looking for a job. I was with COVID, but not with Phoenix team. I was just asking somebody higher up to kind of take a look at my resume and where they would point out flaws. And after she saw my resume, she said, do you want to work here? And I said, absolutely. Started off as an intern, eventually got brought on as a full-time employee after a couple of trainings and just being a little fish in a big pond, showing what I'm capable of. So a lot of luck, but definitely what I did in college helped. Um, So I wasn't just another kid who a parent was touting that their kid needs a job, you know? So the prior experience helped. So everybody should do those internships, apply even if you don't get get them. I can't tell you how many like job applications I had to sort through graduating during a pandemic and being okay with rejection, but applying for everything because you never know what's going to happen. So you've lived, you grew up in Colorado and you grew up in Utah. You've been back and forth a little bit. Um, yep. I think you you um, moved here in the third grade yep. in Colorado. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I guess when, you know, kind of just in general, like probably I think around second, third, fourth grade is mm-hmm. when people start, adults start asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Did you, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were like that age? Hmm. I had a pretty vastly different idea. When I was younger, I really wanted to be a vet. I've had a myriad of animals growing up. I loved them until one day my mom told me, you know, vets have to see like sick animals and hurt animals. And I was like, okay, never mind. Can't do that (laughs) one. Yep. And so I strayed away from that, wanted to be a doctor for a long time. Um, I'm like in love with Dr. House, if you watch that TV show. (laughs) But after that, I realized that I faint when I get my blood drawn or anything Mm -hmm. that's done to me, I don't do well with. And so I changed career paths again, but when I was younger, yeah, I wanted to be a vet and a doctor primarily, but shifted as I got older into mainly high school. It was probably when I drastically altered my career path. And what, um, did that have something to do with your debate experience? Yeah, it did. So I actually went into high school really wanting to do pre-med and I took pharmacy. I did all the anatomy courses 
while also doing debate as a club and a class. And then eventually realized that I hit a point in high school where I couldn't go further with medicine anymore once I realized my lack of affinity for blood and able to tolerate it, right? So I fell in love with debate um, from when I was a freshman in high school, loved my coach. He kind of gave me my life mantra moving forward, did really well, loved the team. And eventually I became captain my junior and senior year, helped coach people, found a love for teaching and just love legislation, love policy. But that's where it all started. Well, so I, I, um, did kind of a bad job. I meant to today because I know nothing about debate other than like mm-hmm. what I watch, maybe a presidential <laughs> debate, you know? Sure. And, uh, and so I kind of wanted to ask you, I wanted to maybe look up some topics like, you know, so I could speak a little bit more intelligently about debate. Um, and I kind of uh, didn't necessarily have time, but like, could we, what would like a mock debate be like? What, or what would be some tips for somebody that's uh, wants to learn a bit more about debate or mm-hmm. how do you, you know, what do you coach your kids? So you're, you're a coach now. You currently yep. coach at mm-hmm. Skyline High School. Yep. Which yep. I live State right champions. <laughs> oh, so, and that's where you went to high school with Skyline. I actually went to Stansbury, but oh, um, oh, one of my sorry. teachers from Stansbury is now head coach at Skyline. So that's he kind of brought cool. me on because he helped coach me when I was a debater and saw how okay. well I did. So now I'm working with Skyline. Oh, cool. And um <laughs> And so like, what do you, what are the things that you like coach the kids? Um, Cause I coach lacrosse, mm-hmm. like I coach high school lacrosse. I don't currently mm-hmm. right now, but I coached high school lacrosse at Highland High School for four years and I love coaching. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually maybe part of the reason why I was interested in starting um, this podcast, because I think whether you're coaching debate or whether you're coaching athletics or whether you're coaching people um, on careers, that connection that you make mm-hmm. with, with that person or with that team or whatever, um, yeah. I think is really special. And so what do you, mm-hmm. what is it like coaching debate? What do you teach them? Yeah. So there's a couple different areas of debate. So there's different styles. One's called policy where they have one topic that they dive into all year round. Um, one's called public forum where you debate with a partner against two other people on a topic that changes every month. Um, That one, for example, the PF topic for state and nationals was the benefits of creating a space force outweigh the harms. So Mm -hmm. people work on that topic for about a month, then they go to tournaments, um, local and state ones, about every weekend, and they get to debate that topic multiple times against different teams. LD is a morality debate. Um, their previous topic was universal child care should be guaranteed. And then there's what I teach called Congress. And essentially that's trying to emulate what a real Congress is like. You have a bunch of bills, normally like 10 to 20 bills on a myriad of topics that students create. And then I always coach my kids to write an affirmative and a negative side to every single bill. Um, so that's more of like speaking, being able to give speeches, not necessarily debating back and forth, but there's different areas. I coach Congress and public forum because that's what I did nationally when I was in high school and it's great, requires a lot of confidence. My one life mantra that I got in high school was strive to be knowledgeable, not just opinionated. And so that's what I try to teach the kids for the most part is when we write speeches, we go through exercises of if we see a bill, 
I say, okay, well, what's your instinct? What do you automatically think when you read this bill? What are your main points? And if they're primarily pro on that bill, I make them write the neg case first. I say, you already know your opinion. You know what you're going to write about. So you have to write the opposite side so that you can tear down what your own opinion is already. And then by the end of it, it's really easy to write what you personally like and know about. So that's what I strive for, always making them write what they're uncomfortable with first. That seems like um, that seems like great advice. That's really cool. I um, uh, I, and especially if you, I feel like if you focus on um, you know the opposite of your opinion, and then you get into a debate, you probably have a pretty mm-hmm. good idea of what the other person's argument yeah. or, or or point of view um, is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. So how, so I guess from high school debate, debate uh, and Stansbury Park, how did you end up at Westminster? Yeah, so I actually really wanted to go out of state for college, but ended up just being kind of a homebody, stuck around for my dogs primarily in a dog friendly <laughs> campus. So ended up choosing Westminster because I was interested in international business. I wanted to go into politics, ended up having a horrible experience with the poli side department. Um, and then switched gears kind of to learn about what the business side of politics was, because in debate, you don't really talk about financials that much. And I wanted to know what that end of the spectrum was like, because ideologically, it's really easy to be pro or con on any topic, right? But ultimately, it always comes down to what's the funding, where is it going? And I wanted to be more informed with those decisions. But So I stuck around at Westminster, did international business, economics kind of just happened to fall into my lap. So then my love for Spanish kept me going, but it was a phenomenal campus. I love it. Love teaching there. I was a business tutor, first year network tutor. So made the most out of my experience. Uh, That's great. What um, I did want to talk to you, you did, um, you you were a first generation, first college generation mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that something, um, why did you decide to do that? Was it just something that seemed important to you? Yeah. So one of my mentees actually was one of my neighbors and he was asking me like what Westminster was like. He was a first generation college student. I myself am like one of the first in my family to complete college. A lot of them have started, but haven't completed it. And for me, my Westminster experience was I was in the honors program and it seemed like the track between where I wanted to go and what Westminster could offer was kind of like disjointed. And there wasn't a lot of what I wanted to do. I wanted to potentially do a custom major and build something on my own. But the offices didn't really help me too much with that because my career aspirations were outside of the Goldman Sachs track that a lot of business majors get put into because that's where Westminster is connected. And I really didn't want to end up in the financial realm. And so I kind of fell into my love with teaching and also teaching the business 101 students, kind of learning about marketing, learning how to market yourself, be confident, do products. And first generation just allowed me that opportunity to really connect one-on-one with somebody who hasn't been guided on what college is like or what you can expect from loans, how scary debt is for so many people. And I came from a family where it's school is an investment. Debt is scary, but it's scary if you end up working in an ice cream shop after you go to college for this big degree. 
So I just wanted to give my guidance and my love for teaching kind of expanded into that. And I still talk with my mentees, even now that I'm graduated and kind of help them stay on the right track. So I love it. Um, that's, that's great. I did. Um, did you ever do like the goal to grad program or did you ever hear of that? I've heard um, that program. Yeah. A couple of my friends completed that one. Completed that um, as, <laughs> as mentees. Yeah. Yeah, I was a mentor for that a couple of times, and um, you know, I, still, I still keep in touch with, um, I only did it twice, I still keep in touch. Actually, my mentee just texted me the other day, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out to Connor Edson, if he's listening to this. <laughs> um, so I guess what, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned um, kind of in, in our pre, pre-show pre conversation was that mm-hmm. you think um, interviews are uh kind of like outdated or or and so just tell me why why tell me about that why do you think that um what would be a better alternative for screening people for a job Mm -hmm. yeah honestly like i did a lot of internships and fellowships throughout college pretty much one every year and i think all interviews are the same it's not necessarily that interviews are outdated but It's just that people now, there are so many articles out there, what you should prepare for, the questions that you should ask. And if somebody asks about your greatest weakness, you know, you say a weakness that is really a strength. And (laughs) honestly, a lot of that is just kind of looking through rose-colored glasses at whatever person you're interviewing, that you have to really take it with a grain of salt. Most of the interviews that I thought were the most rigorous were I had to interview through multiple people. And that's what my company does right now, Phoenix team. We interview through multiple people. We have somebody just interview with our diversity and inclusion officer. We have people interview with our partners and just ask a bunch of different questions beyond the simple Tell me about yourself. What's something that's off your resume or what's a moment in your life where you had a struggle and had to overcome it? Just questions like that, I think, are so tip of the iceberg that it's really difficult and it's easy for anybody to seem like they're the prime interview candidate with those types of answers. If there isn't something that's really rigorous or maybe over a couple of days, some of my interviews required projects or for me to present something. Something like that, I think, is a lot more meaningful. It takes a lot more work, time, energy, and money, which I don't, like, companies don't have that in mass amounts, which is why they just do the typical interview process. But if they made it more rigorous or, like, project-based, I think they'd find a lot less turnover. But other than that, it's just being genuine in your answers and trying to, I guess, stump somebody in the interview process or asking really unique questions. Because I've been interviewing since freshman year of high school for jobs. And I can recite to you every question or like my three strengths or my three weaknesses that are actually strengths, you know. Right. So it's prepping for those, but also learning how to operate outside of the standard interview questions. I, I've been interviewing... Um... I've been interviewing for some jobs recently. You know, it's always good mm-hmm. to just practice. It's always good to just practice yep. interviewing and... Um, I think sometimes I feel like interviews go really well. Sometimes I feel like they go really poorly. I do feel like um, probably one of the best interviews I had recently was one where I was just really relaxed. I just tried to, I just tried to tell myself um, these people need to convince me to come work for them. 
Yeah. You know, I, I try to have this attitude of like, hey, we're trying, we're both trying to see mm -hmm. if there's a good fit here. You know, I don't yeah. need to have all this pressure on me. Um, yeah, know, try to absolutely. Convince, try to convince them something. Mm -hmm. you know? Like they're trying to convince me too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think a part was... of interviews that are really slept on is people don't ask questions after interviews because I'm the same way. I always tell them I'm going to interview you at the end of this. So I always ask if you were to start this job over, would you do it? Mm -hmm. Or what's your best advice? If you could have a do over for your job, what would you tell your past self? What are the benefits and drawbacks? Give me one of each. Like people need to work on what their questions are for the employers. You're totally right. You want to be in a place where you're happy, where it is a good fit. It's not just whether or not you'll be good at the company. It's is the company good for you. Right. And um, so tell me a little bit about your, um, your internship. So you did like, what is this house foreign affairs committee intern that you did in DC? That sounds super cool. Yep. One of probably the best experiences of my life. Um, that was my freshman year of college. Luckily, we just had a family friend who said, hey, this internship is open. They had a place in D.C. and we had family friends who were out there. And I kind of just got my shot and decided to apply. And it was the same. We did a phone interview. It was phenomenal. I got to travel to D.C. and stayed there for four months, worked on Capitol Hill as an intern. And I did a lot of primary research for the Foreign Affairs Committee. I was 18 at that time. And they never accept interns who are like not in college or not out of college. And so I was the youngest intern that they've ever had at that point in time. And I ended up being the first intern there. And we ended up having the baseball field shooting. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I do remember that. And okay. so... We actually had a hearing that day with the Secretary of State at the time, Rex Tillerson, and some of our committee members, because they're from all around Congress, come and congregated that committee, but some of them were at the baseball field shooting. And that day was when we were onboarding six new interns. So my two bosses just said, Jadri, you're going to take care of these interns because they had to deal with other things. And so I had people who were five to six years, my senior, like college graduates, and I never told them my age, like I'm sure they could have assumed by my stature, right? But I was essentially just responsible for training all of them. And we had a bunch of stuff politically happened in 2016. There was the Russia allegations. We had a bunch of like nationwide phone calls where people would be given scripts to call the Foreign Affairs Committee and say this, that you're upset from this state. And I had to train all those interns on how to respond, what we do with those responses. And it was phenomenal. I would highly recommend you know, if anybody is interested in that line of work, let me know. But yeah, it was amazing. Definitely secured my passion for what legislation is and got to experience it firsthand. That sounds like a really cool um, internship. I feel like I had, I think that's an important experience, internships. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had kind of a, um, a career defining internship sort of thing. I got to work on like a, a, a trade desk or something. I got to work on like yeah. a, a bond trade desk, like a, a sales desk um, at Zions Bank. Where they were, um, you know, we had a repo desk, we had a sales desk, we had a dealer desk. Um, and we had, um, uh, so yeah, we had all the different, and it was just cool to understand like how all the different desks work together to um, kind of like perform all these different functions um, for the bank. And I was like, this is really, this is really cool. And I was like, I think, you know, they definitely, 
made me um, want to go into finance a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's I think that's an important thing is making sure you have one of those internships that kind of like cements your cements your passion or cements your um, your path or where you want to go. Um, and so one of the other things that I think is interesting on your resume is you're a certified scrum master. Yeah. And when did you do that? So my company offers a lot of trainings. They're very like emphatic about continuous learning. So I probably became certified around a month ago. Um, oh, cool. Yep. I did safe training as well, like safe and agile when I was first an intern. And that was man drinking from the fire hose, trying to learn about what all that stuff was. But yeah, they're very had a lot of emphasis on training just to make sure that everybody in the company is able to do essentially every job and has like the basics. But Scrum Master was interesting for sure. I'm still learning today, even though I'm certified. So I always think about um, we had uh, we had Scrum when I worked at Morgan Stanley. We mm -hmm. would kind of do um, it was it was an it was more of like a, um, I'm still not totally clear necessarily <laughs> on what the difference is between Agile and Scrum. Um, yeah. I think, I think about Scrum for the most part is you're going to have the whiteboard with the sticky notes on it. Yep. And that's mm -hmm. what I've learned. Um, and that's, you can learn that by watching the show Silicon Valley. If you ever watch yep. that on HBO, mm -hmm. uh, that's how they, that's how they manage their, you know, that was, that was like a whole episode was like about Scrum, which was kind of funny. Yep. Um, and, uh, uh, but so I had a little bit of experience with Scrum or, or Agile and I read a couple of books on it. And um, I, I, I like it. I'm all about, um, I like the idea or concept of like working out loud um, mm -hmm. and breaking and breaking larger projects down into smaller ones. Um, yeah. so I, thought, I thought that was funny um, that you were a certified scrum master. And uh, I guess I'm, I, and one of my buddies, I'm actually hoping to have him on um, the show at some point, his name's AJ Ardavino. He's, he's, he's a project, um, he's a project manager for Microsoft and he's all oh. about the scrum and mm -hmm. agile stuff. He's all about it. And so maybe one of these oh. days, um, I could connect you guys. Um, yeah. so I guess I wanted to, um, you know, take a second and take a break in the show. And I do this thing where we play, uh, underrated and overrated with JJ right. Wood. Let's go. Cue the cue the music. There's actually no music, but I'll edit some in. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit some in later. So I have a list of about a 15 to 20 things here. Okay. Uh, you know, you can just say underrated or overrated, and okay. uh, if you want to, you know, explain if you want to take five or ten seconds and explain why you think is underrated or overrated, that would be totally fine. If you don't want to okay. do that, um, I can just go <laughs> to the next one. So the, right. first, the first one is because this is the digital mentorship podcast. The first one mm -hmm. is mentorship. Underrated. Podcasts. Underrated. Too. <laughs> Bitcoin. Overrated. Overrated. I hate Bitcoin. I've done so many projects throughout <laughs> my like international business at econ. Oh my God. Anyway, I hate cryptocurrency. I get it, but overrated for sure. <laughs> That's great. Um, entrepreneurship. Overrated. Overrated, really? I think, uh, I actually read this interesting article. It's called the 7 rule. So essentially 70% of any idea you have is total crap. 
20% are like, okay, and then 10% are really good, right? The idea is you have to come up with a mass quantity of ideas and then 10% of those are going to be good. I think the 10% is taught way too much as like, you're going to be Steve Jobs and just have this phenomenal idea for Apple. And I don't think that's how it is. I think entrepreneurship is a lot of grunt work that people may not expect or at least wasn't taught to me. So overrated for that. That was a fantastic answer. Uh, Soccer. Underrated, of course. (laughs) Uh, Interviews. Overrated. (laughs) Uh, Resumes. Ooh, probably overrated. (laughs) Uh, col- well, I mean, there's LinkedIn now, right? So, I mean, what do you really need to mm-hmm. um, College education. Oh. Man, there's no middle answer? Okay. Um, overrated. Overrated. Uh, political science. Overrated. <laughs> I hate polit- political science was the worst coming in at, like, the professor that taught is now gone at Westminster, but it was 2016, the most tumultuous election historically to date at that point. And we didn't talk about the election once. We watched movies. I've heard by somebody who I'm not a huge fan of that political science teaches you how to think or like what to think instead of how to think. And I've just hated it ever since. <laughs> But, uh, well, I, I wasn't sure which way you were going to go on that, so right on. Uh, New, New York-style pizza. What's New York-style? That, that's not deep dish, thin. right? Yes, thin, yeah, thin. Underrated. Underrated. You love you love thin crust pizza. Yep. Uh, Major League Soccer, like the MLS as an organization. Overrated. Overrated. You, what, yeah. you like Premier League? Yeah, frankly, soccer is boring to watch. Like, I understand why people don't get it. You score, like, two to five goals, maybe. Like, if it's a good game and it's a whole lot of just watching people run. So, uh, Internships. Underrated. Uh, competitive debate. Underrated. <laughs> We're uh, the nerds. We're awesome. <laughs> uh, scrum agile slash agile. Uh, overrated at the moment. You think it's overrated? Like too many people make too big a deal about it? Uh, I actually just wrote a blog about how agile as a concept is good. Implementation, it fails the vast majority of the time. So I think right now people, it's a great idea in theory, but people fail to implement it effectively the majority of the time. Uh, networking. Underrated. Uh, speaking a foreign language. Underrated. Underrated. Under. I, I kind of, I threw in kind of like some, I guess some softballs, I guess. Uh, what <laughs> you should we call? It? Well, that was, uh, that was a great episode. I feel like of underrated or overrated with Jadri Wood. Jadri, thank you so much. Bravo. Thank yeah. you. A- applause, <laughs> applause to you. Um, so okay, so I feel like we have a good understanding of, um, kind of your background, um, what you've studied. Mm-hmm. how you got there. Um, I guess maybe let's talk a little bit more about um, Phoenix Team and what you do currently. Um, so Phoenix Team, you guys are doing, you're doing loans, you're working with Rocket Mortgage, Quicken Loans, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of the other guys that you named. Um, what kind of, I mean, what, explain a little bit more about that, about what you guys are doing and how you're working with those companies. 
Yeah, so actually I've only been working with Phoenix team since October. So a lot of my stuff is internal, been working on a lot of like diversity and inclusion stuff, thought leadership, but primarily it's just working with consulting. We do have a really strong agile and scrum presence. We have um, formatted a lot of different trainings. One's called like scaled value that we work with a couple different clients on just learning how to differentiate roles and responsibilities. So a lot of our stuff is training based at the moment and really technology based working with things like apps, product development for these different companies in different areas. Um, But a lot of the things I do is more on the internal side, kind of bridging into like federal versus commercial, what necessarily that looks like for projects within our team. But I primarily, I love writing, have a passion for it. So I'm doing our um, Phoenix podcast, hopefully with your help. Um, (laughs) And then I'll also be doing like thought leadership blogs. We post a lot about what's happening in the industry and how we want to be at the forefront of it. One of our mantras is having empathy and lending because what happens a lot of the times with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, all of these different like title insurance companies too, we all end up as numbers, right? Whether or not we're going to foreclose on our house, whether or not we're making our payments, it's really easy to aggregate all of that data and forget about the people that are behind it. So Phoenix's job is to bring back empathy into the lending space. That's, um, I feel like such a great mission. I think so often in life, especially these days, um, everything does just kind of get boiled down to um, a number and uh, it's easy to lose sight of the humanity. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes. And so I guess, Wimmy, what are the, some of the things like, um, is there like an app? Does Phoenix team have like an app? Like how do, how do customers or people like interface with you? Yeah, primarily it's working through the website. So right now Phoenix team is about five or six years old. We're still a startup. Um, just ended up on the Inc. 5000s, like 50 regional, I think we're the 52nd out of 250 fastest growing company in DC. Cool. So we're getting there. We're still working through everything, but it's primarily website. And honestly, a lot of our clients work through word of mouth that we give proposals to those who ask for it and really just market ourselves. But right now we have a pretty full plate. We're looking to expand it, but Right now, it's kind of just all internal, seeing where we go from here, continuing to build our company. We started out with around 50 employees when I came on. We have close to 80 now, so we've nearly doubled in size in just the quick six months that I've been here. So we're growing, but we'll see lots of capabilities coming out in the future and a new website uh, coming, I think, in July. So look out if you're in the mortgage realm. Look out. Look out if you're in the mortgage realm. Well, um it, I just pulled up the website. It looks really cool. <laughs> Thank you. It'll be, to... it'll be even better in July. Is your is your blog on, is your blog on there? Nope. It'll be coming out. I think in two weeks. Okay. Very good. Yep. The blog is new. I've been creating like a bank of blogs, essentially, that we're able to pull from. But it'll be new and posted very soon. As well as uh, we have an Instagram. I believe we have a Twitter, Facebook, or all the young people out there who are looking well, to learn about mortgage too. I actually, I actually, you do not have an Instagram or a Facebook. Yes, we do. No, no, you personally. I, well, I have an Instagram. I don't have uh, a Facebook. You are right I tried, off the grid. <laughs> you're off the grid. I tried to find you because I wanted to like, try to like ask you, I was trying to, I was going to try to come up with some more like uh, background uh, underrated, overrated things. No, uh, you wouldn't find much on my Instagram. I have maybe three posts. So I'm kind of a ghost. So. <laughs> Um, so I guess, you know, 
what um you know kind of like pivoting towards the end of the show um what what would be some of the advice that you that you would give yourself or if you think yeah i feel like you're this is kind of a tough question to ask you i feel like because mm. in one sense you're passionate very much about mm -hmm. uh uh politics and legislation and right now you're currently working mm -hmm. um and i guess it, i guess you could call it like a fintech space it's kind of like a fintech yeah. startup yeah uh, and um so you're you're what you're doing and what you're super passionate about aren't necessarily aligned although there's probably mm -hmm. some there's probably some some overlaps um in terms of uh, uh you know lending requirements lending you know i'm sure there's there's some yeah. there's obviously a lot of legal stuff going on with what you mm -hmm. guys um <laughs> But I think, like, what advice do you, would you give your younger self um, about either pursuing a career um, in politics or um, maybe as like a, a diplomat, sort of, um, mm -hmm. or for somebody that's interested in going into technology? Yep, that's an awesome question. I think for me, I'm a pretty unique case. I think, and that most people go into college and kind of they do bounce around a little bit. But my passion has been the same since high school, I've known that I love teaching, I love politics and trying to bridge that gap into what business looks like. I love to travel, love Spanish. So my passion has always been like a straightforward arrow where everything else has kind of like been zigzagging back and forth to that arrow. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my internships were very different. I did some local and state political internships. I also worked for the World Trade Center of Utah, learned more business. And I mean, not all of those were good experiences. So my advice would be any experience is still good experience because I learned a lot about what I do not want to do, uh, which is super valuable. That's how I thought I really wanted to be a political science major and had this track of I'm going to be a political researcher. And then my poli sci class was horrible. And so it's like, okay, how do you pivot? And being okay with pivoting and kind of letting go of what your aspirations may look like. I thought I was going to be the person who wants to run for president. And now I'm like, no way in hell would I ever put myself through that. So it's just learning to pivot, being okay with what you're putting out there in high school, let it go be free was my mantra, like letting go of grades, letting that A minus just kind of flow out. I, when I got this job, they didn't look at my GPA. Granted, it was like in the higher range and I did well for myself, but you know, a lot of that stuff just doesn't matter at the end of things. I got really lucky with Phoenix where I'm able to apply my degree how I want to, but once you get a job and kind of move forward, a lot of your degree fades away. So get a degree in something that you love and something that you can cross apply anywhere, but ultimately don't lose yourself in that and or pay scales or GPAs or how many degrees you have compared to the person who you're interviewing next to, you know, but eventually you'll figure it out and you're not going to have it figured out when you graduate or five years after that, you know, everybody is just a leaf floating in a pond trying to figure out where they're going and you don't really have control over it. So might as well just enjoy the ride. Well, I think that was, I think that was really great advice. And I know, I think for somebody that's been out of school for, um, I guess, geez, eight years, um, <laughs> I do feel like, uh, ultimately as you get older, it becomes more about what you've done, um, yeah. instead of what you studied, you know, mm -hmm. what you, 
what is your experience? Who do you know? Um, that is ultimately going to play a much larger role in what uh, in, in what your career ends up being than, than what you studied in. in yep. what studied. And yeah, some of my favorite classes at Westminster had nothing to do with my degree. They weren't business classes or econ or anything like that. And Westminster's great and where I have very like personal friendships with a lot of the professors because we have class sizes ranging from like six to 30. And so I still regularly check in with them like don't don't miss out on making friends with your professors because that was nerdy to do in high school, but you know, in college it really matters because they have vast networks and seeing who you know and where you can go is all a part of it. So there's a lot to do beyond the classroom that matters, I think, a little bit more. Thank you for that. Um, how can if people so if people are interested in if people are interested in you, people are interested in your story, they're interested in politics, debate, mm -hmm. uh, fintech, whatever. Um, okay. how, can they, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, you can post my LinkedIn on however you do this after you show me. But, okay. yep, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And then uh, I believe my email should be on there, too. But, yeah. yep, always happy to talk. And if I like talking to you, then I'll extend it. <laughs> okay, great. Well, uh, Jadri, thank you again so much. It was a pleasure. Of course. Nice to meet you, Scott. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Jadri Wood for coming on the show. I enjoyed our conversation about the value of internships and mentorship and how the interview process is outdated. I enjoyed hearing about her blog post about debt to income ratios for people with student debt and its impact on the housing market. Jadri's experience in debate and her passion for legislation is something she gets to share with her students as a high school debate coach, which along with travel and international business has always been a focus for her career. If you know anybody passionate about politics or interested in mortgage tech, please share this podcast with them. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Digital Mentorship. This is your Hot with Scott Kellner. We'll see you next time.